On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to be continuing our discussion on the Christian family. And we had ended the last episode by making the statement that there must be mutual involvement for growth to take place in any relationship. Growth in family relationships can be blocked, they can be hampered, when somebody in the relationship is unable or unwilling to reciprocate those core values that we discussed, those core pieces to the recipe of successful relationships, which is covenant love, grace, empowerment, and intimacy. We also discussed what is the opposite of that, the antithesis of it, which we call duty or the status quo, where things kind of get reversed. And instead of covenant love, grace, empowerment, and intimacy, we have law replacing love. We have possessive power replacing empowerment. And we have distance instead of connectedness and intimacy. In our next couple episodes, we're going to dive into each one of these values, starting with covenant. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Rains, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Rains is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. I want to thank all my listeners for sticking with me. As some of you might have known, I was out last week due to illness. And I've always found illness to be an interesting topic. I know I say I find a lot of things to be interesting topics, but I do. So growing up, I was always sick. I was kind of like a sickly child in my own way. I was not frail, nor did I appear to be ill, but inside I felt sick all the time. And throughout my early childhood and young adulthood, people always negated and invalidated my thoughts, opinions, and feelings about feeling sick all the time. Feeling that something in my body was wrong, something in my body was off, something wasn't right. This led all the way up into my adulthood and realizing that there was something going on that didn't quite feel right, going to see specialists and even going to Mayo Clinic, the place where everybody seems to go to find all these weird diagnoses right, that nobody else can figure out. Or when somebody finds something really bizarre in a different clinic or a different hospital or a different medical setting and then refers you to Mayo, it's like they already know what it is. They've seen it. They've dealt with it. And yet nobody could find anything. So instantly the shift was from something's wrong to there's something wrong with your thoughts. There's something wrong with your mind. That this is psychosomatic. That maybe it's something else like anxiety, depression, But there's nothing physically wrong with you, so it has to be in your mind. That eventually gave way to your overweight, right? So now it was, okay, you've dealt with your mental health. That hasn't changed the issue. Okay, you're just overweight. It's your diet. It has to be your diet. 
It has to be the fact that you are overweight. So therefore, that's, again, a problem with your mind because you don't have self-control. You're always hungry. You always feel hungry. You never feel satisfied. That is in your mind. And so I lived in that cycle for a very, very long time. But unfortunately, the problem kept getting worse to the point where finally my body was screaming at me. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say to cope with this. There is nothing you can say to minimize this. You can't trick me into blaming my mind anymore. There is something legitimately wrong with me, and I have the pain to back it up. This occurred last year. (laughs) So I am middle-aged. I have to pause here because it actually feels weird to hear myself saying that. I just instantly felt like a thousand years old if I say it. I'm middle-aged. I'm middle-aged age-wise, but a child at heart. How's that? (laughs) And it took all the way until last year for someone to finally listen to me, to truly listen and to truly hear what I was having to say. And it was kind of funny because I live in a town of 800 people now, whereas before I lived in Rochester, home of Mayo Clinic. And this town has a small little clinic that is open part-time, and there's a wonderful nurse practitioner who works there. I think this was like either the first or maybe second time I ever met with her. And I was just like, I'm in some kind of pain. This pain has been going on consistently on and off throughout my entire life. In some ways, I'm used to it. In some ways, I'm not. It shows up in various forms, but now it's unbearable. It's unbearable. It feels like something has died inside of me. That's literally what it felt like. Like I had this dead weight. And she was like, well, let's do a CT scan. Have you ever had one of those to check this out? And I started thinking, I was like, no, I never, I've never had a CT scan to check any of this out. And I think the look on her face kind of told me all I needed to know is that here I am having this pain for decades and nobody thought to do a a simple test to check on it. (laughs) And so I did this test and of course they found something right, right off the bat. And unfortunately, they did not ward it very well. And so it was quite terrifying news because they had told me, James, the majority of your pancreas is dead. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear that anything inside of them is dead, right? That it's no longer functioning, okay? But it instantly made sense in my mind because that's what it felt like on the inside, that something had died. Now, I would eventually go back to Mayo with this newfound news, and they would check into it. And apparently, it was a congenital disorder. So my pancreas never fully developed. In fact, only a very small portion of it developed. And unfortunately, through years and years and years of use, that little portion of it had become exhausted. Ironically, there was a simple solution for individuals who have congenital pancreas issues or their pancreas is not functioning well, which is to take pancreatic enzymes. And it was like somebody flipped on a switch. About two to three months after taking enzymes, my life was completely changed. The pain was gone. Everything had come to what other people say is normal. Not my normal from before, but something that felt more normal. I'll never forget sitting in the office with the specialist from Mayo going over my symptoms and kind of my daily routine. He said, do you feel that's normal? And I said, sure. And he's like, you know, that's not normal, right? (laughs) What he was trying to say was, is that this was not normal. This was not normally how the human body is supposed to function. And yet for me, 
that was normal because that's how my body had always functioned. Or at least it functioned like that for as long as I could remember. That pain was alleviated. All of a sudden, the entire way I digested food since I was a little person was different. The whole way that I managed my day because of dysfunction was now different. So when folks come to me and they talk about health illnesses, I'm one of the folks that listens. And I listen because I myself have experienced that feeling of not feeling heard, not believing that people are actually listening, that they don't truly believe what I'm talking about. And it's much more easy than because of that disbelief just to ascribe to some type of mental dysfunction, right? That there's something wrong with my mind, that I'm making this up. And maybe not making it up, but I am creating it with my own mental energy because of something else going on like anxiety or depression. And I say all that to say that you may not know this, but a lot of the ingredients, (laughs) there's really only one ingredient, that makes up pancreatic enzymes has been one of the things that's been on shortage. And for those of you who don't know, pancreatic enzymes are extremely expensive. In fact, if I were to tell you the cost, it might even blow your mind. And so for the last month and a half, the pancreatic enzymes that I use have been on back order, have been out. And so instantly, within about two or three weeks, all those symptoms had returned. It was almost hellish this past week dealing with the breakdown of those health issues. And luckily, um, this week, I was able to actually, the end of last week, get some enzymes to start the process. And again, now getting back to not feeling quite as ill. But I tell you all that, not to TMI you per se, but to tell you that's why I was out last week. And to talk about why I think it's important to listen when people say they don't feel good. Our body is a guide. And when we say we don't feel good, there's usually a reason. It might be from our mind, it might be created, it might be psychosomatic, but it might not be either. And sometimes it's just discouraging to constantly feel ill and then not feel like anybody believes or supports you. So let's dive back into the family. A place, as we have discussed in the previous episode, that you should be loved unconditionally and be accepted. So we talked about the various values of relationship and family, and we discussed covenant, we discussed grace, We discussed empowerment, and lastly, intimacy. So let's dive a little into each one of these. So covenant, as defined by these authors, is to be loved and to love. And they believe it comes from God's steadfast commitment to creation. And it forms the basis for the other relationship values. And we see that all through the book of Genesis as God is establishing a covenant with people. We see it first in Genesis 6.18, where he says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. The Noahic covenant is what it's referred to as. And then in Genesis 9.9-10, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you. Genesis 17.1-2, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. And here we have a portion of the Abrahamic covenant. What's interesting is, as the author of this book kind of bring out, is that God is offering neither one of them a choice, right? It's just, I am giving you this covenant. I am giving you this love. And it's in no way contractual. There's not a contract between two people here saying, okay, I'm going to give this to you if you give this to me. No, it is simply, I am going to establish my covenant with you and provide that blessing for you. But here's the interesting part. Although the covenant itself is not conditional, the benefits and the blessings of it 
are determined by the response to it. It's kind of like this. If I say to my children, I love you unconditionally, I love you for who you are, they can say, that's great. (laughs) I don't love you in the same way. I don't want to respond in that way. I'm going to go do my own thing. They have no contractual obligation to me for the love that I give them. Though sometimes I think parents wish they had that or try to create that. How many times have you received a gift from a parent as an adult and there's all kinds of strings attached? Strings that usually somehow try to make you in an obligation to them for some type of reciprocation of love. But here's the thing with this type of response, that if you choose not to respond, they might not get to take the full advantage of the love that I'm willing to offer. You can see that really in the Abrahamic covenant there, where he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and it will make you exceedingly numerous. And lastly, God extends the covenant to the families from generation to generation. In fact, we see that being unveiled through the entire Old Testament. God's covenant, God's promise to his people unfolding in the pages of the Old Testament. I really love the book of Hosea because it really demonstrates this central theme, the central theme of covenant relationship between God and his people. And the cycle is really easy to understand, not just in this book, but this book really spells it out really interestingly. But through the entire Old Testament, the cycle is this, the children of Israel turn away from God, and get into all kinds of difficulties and troubles. God pursues them with a steadfast love. He does not abandon them. He offers reconciliation, restitution when they respond. And when they do, God pours out this incredible blessing that comes from a relationship with him. The children then of Israel recap the satisfaction of basking in the intimate presence and profound connection with God. It's a beautiful picture, even though that book portrays that in a kind of an interesting way. So if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you're like, I don't necessarily see that particular beauty in it because the book itself seems like it goes in contrast with a lot of the current values of our society. But that's a topic for a different time. But it's not just in the Old Testament we see this example of this covenant. We also see it in the life of Jesus, which gives us the supreme expression of unconditional love. And we, in turn, can offer that unconditional love to others because we are God's image bearers. The authors of the book then give types of commitments and family relationships, and they kind of have a Punnett square, if you remember those. I hated them. I still hate them. No matter what they show up in, what type of science they show up in, I don't like them. I think that happened because of sixth grade science, but it definitely didn't improve any with college level logic. (laughs) So if you've had a logic class where you were doing these squares to determine logical reasoning within grammatical structure, I'm sorry. My heart goes out to you. But in this, they on the top, they have conditional and unconditional. And on the sides, they have unilateral and bilateral. And so a conditional or a unilateral conditional relationship is what they see as a modern open arrangement. And this arrangement is what's currently going on in our society, in which people are hesitant to make commitments that do not offer benefits that are like obvious to them. So if I don't see an obvious benefit to being in a relationship with you or staying in a relationship with you, I'm not going to be committed. Meaning that if something else comes along that I feel like I can get inherent benefit from immediately, I'm going to drop this commitment and take on that commitment. A unilateral, unconditional covenant is kind of this initial 
covenant. It's unilateral. It only goes one way, but it's unconditional. When I think of this, I think of a mother and a child or myself as a father and a child. I unconditionally love that little baby, but that little baby cannot respond necessarily to the depths of the love that I am showing it because it's just a little baby. I have to cater to its needs. I have to supply for it. And though I am filled with this love, it's not necessarily reciprocated bilateral. Now, I know babies can show love and are connected, and I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say they cannot show that to the level that another adult could show me in regards especially to commitment. When it comes to a bilateral, conditional relationship, that is the relationship we consider a contract. It's a quid pro quo relationship. We give to get. We do this, you do that. And then a bilateral unconditional relationship is one we consider a mature relationship. And that's what the authors see as the ideal for marital and mature parent-child relationships is unconditional bilateral commitments. To go back to a modern open arrangement, one way we can see that is an example of a person begins a marriage with an unspoken understanding as long as their needs are met all as well. But as long as those needs are not met, the relationship will end. And if you've been in a relationship, you can understand that there are times when you have needs and they're not being met. But here's the flip side of that as well, is that this is involvement into commitment, right? So if you have needs that are never, ever, ever being met, you might be in a relationship that's not healthy. So I don't want to go too far into that spectrum to say that in order to be in a relationship, you always have to give up your needs, yourself, always. Because that, in a sense, is not a relationship, right? That, in a sense, is a unilateral, unconditional relationship (laughs) in which you are doing everything and there's no reciprocation. But also on the flip side of that, a modern open arrangement of commitment where you are only committed when your needs are getting met and as soon as they aren't, you're done, that's also not healthy. We kind of have to have kind of a middle ground here where we have to be a little less selfish so that we're not dumping commitments at the drop of a hat based on feelings and moods that pass. And we don't want to get to the point where we're the only person in the relationship that is providing any type of commitment. Going back to the statement we made at the very beginning, there has to be mutual involvement for the success of relationship. Things won't grow if both parties aren't involved. So in these modern open arrangements, the couple kind of believes the contract has been fulfilled when they get a little bit more from the relationship than they get. And in all honesty, every relationship, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, family routine, daily family life is carried out through informal contractual agreements. But when we advocate for relationship based on covenant, we also have to recognize the importance of mutuality, fairness, and reciprocation that lead to interdependence and connectedness. However, there is a matter of being unselfish, not only being focused on self. Now, I'm taking this out of self-care, meaning that, yes, you have to be self-caring in order to give selflessly. Because yourself has needs, and if you don't equate or deal with those needs and keep yourself healthy, you're going to be like an empty can. Right? There's not going to be anything you can pour into any relationship. And so that's all the time we have for today. That is covenant. Next week, we're going to talk about grace, to forgive and be forgiven. Again, thank you for listening. And remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, 
and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.